Amen. Our next speaker was the area superintendent of the USA mission field until he came for his retirement in October 2018. He holds a doctor of ministry and a master of arts in religion, a master of science in computer science, a bachelor of arts in computer science and economics. He worked in the computer industry as an engineer for 20 years. And while he was in the computer industry, he taught computer science as an adjunct faculty member at the University of Lowell and then at Boston University. He's an author of three books, The Isaka Anointing for 2015, where he was the main speaker for camp meeting. The second book is Outer Mysteries to God. And then his last book is Apostolic Minister's Handbook. He is married to his lovely wife, Peggy, and they have three adult children and two grandchildren. Please help me welcome Apostle Retired Dr. Kobana Akufu. Correction, three grandchildren. One just came this um, August, so we thank God for three grandchildren. Amen. Hallelujah. And these days, that's more important than any of the other qualifications that were stated. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I thank the Central Executive Committee for um, giving this opportunity to share this topic with you. And I hope to stimulate some thinking as a result of this presentation today. And my topic is growing local churches. Growing local churches. There are many church growth principles that have been advanced by various theologians and ministers. And sometimes they will have like, these are the ten things that you must do. Or the five things that you must do. The seven things that you must do to grow your church. Um, I wish to take a different approach today uh, instead of going down the same path as, as others. And um, I, I want to explore, before I even get into the uh, second slide, uh, the manner in which the church grew in the book of Acts. And I think that if we look at that, it will help us to understand how we can grow sustainable, healthy churches. Sustainable, healthy churches. Um, our shift agenda, the core verse that we are using, really speaks to the heart of uh, sustainable church growth, uh, taken from Acts 9.31. But I want to go through Acts and then just present you with a few um, instances as to how the church grew in the book of Acts. So let's begin from Acts chapter 2. Everybody's aware. After Peter's preaching, uh, 3,000 came into the church. And Peter's preaching was on surrendering to God. He preached the word about surrendering to God. And 3,000 came to the church. He performed no miracles. He just taught the word. And they came. Acts 4 records Peter's continued preaching that brought 2,000 more. I'm not here to speak against miracles. We want miracles in the church. 
But I'm here to indicate to you that there is something else that was going on in the book of Acts that was making the churches grow. I remember many years ago uh, when we started, uh, we planted one of the churches in Massachusetts called Worcester. Um, a year into it, one of the guys who was very zealous came to me that we should pray that we have one miracle. As soon as we have one miracle, the church will like expand and, you know, will be a very big church. But I also remember uh, this guy, I think, Ousu Tebri. Ousu Tebri, he, God had, Church of Pentecost, God had gifted him with, uh, you know, doing miracles and so on. And he used that as a basis to start his own church. church. He came to the U.S., and then planted many churches. Canada planted many churches, and he left and went to Ghana. Well, the people who went to those churches were looking for miracles. When, when he left, there were no miracles. Eventually, all the churches collapsed. Amen. So, sustainable, healthy churches is what I want to focus on. Praise the Lord. In Acts 9.31, which is core, uh, Acts 6.7, before I go to Acts 6.7, says, So the word of God spread... The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. See, the word of God spread, and as a result, praise the Lord. Acts 9.31 talks about the fact that they were living the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord means that they reverence the word of God. So here we're talking about the word of God also. And encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. In Acts 12.24, after Herod blasphemed, and they now give glory to the Lord, and he was eaten by worms. Acts 12.24 gives a commentary contrasting the church to Herod. He said, but the word of God continued to spread and flourish. In Pisidian Antioch, after Paul's teachings, Acts 13.49, he says, the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region, the word of the Lord. After, and then we go to Acts 16.5, after Paul and Silas delivered the message from the Jerusalem council about observing uh, and not needing to observe the ceremonial laws, but observing the moral laws. In Acts 16.5, um, it says, The churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. Finally, Acts 19.20, uh, 19, when uh, Paul preached in Acts 19, then Acts 19, 20 summarizes and says, In this way, the word of the Lord spread and grew in power. Praise the Lord. So when you analyze all of these things, you will find that the church did not grow by what I call hit and run evangelism. The church did not grow by programs, by 10 lists that you have to do, by miracles. But it grew by the word of the Lord by people reverencing the word of the Lord. So my thesis for you today is that I believe that when you are running a church, you need to grow yourself spiritually. Spiritually. And when I say spiritually, on top of it is reverence for the word of God. And when you do, you begin to infect other people in the church. And then as a result, they will grow. And suddenly you will find that they will infect other people. So there will be an, a, a, an organic growth in the church. That is, the church will start growing by people being infected. And then they infect others. And it continues. And then you begin to find that this type of, this type of growth is sustainable. And it endures. Whereas other types of growth 
that are based on emotions, getting people excited. When something happens, they will leave. But if they are immersed in the word of God, because you are practicing what you preach, then you will find that the church will grow um, organically in a healthy and sustainable way. Amen. Amen. So let me then go on to my slides. So this is what, uh, if you don't get anything from this, what I'm trying to tell you is that in order for you to grow your church, you yourself must grow yourself holistically, at the center of which is that you must, you must reverence the word of God, obey the word of God, practice the word of God, live in holiness. And if you do that, your church will grow. Amen. So the topics I want to use to address this main topic is, first, I'm going to talk about the significance of the local church, the significance of an individual member, the goal of genuine individual spiritual development, what the individual must do, what the church must do, um, and then I'll talk about how discipleship promotes healthy church growth. I will not have time to talk about discipleship itself, but just to state how it promotes healthy church growth, talk about how discipleship promotes sustainable church growth, and talk about visionary leadership that is needed to tie all of this, these things together. So let me begin with the significance of the local church. The local church aggregate to form the denomination. That is, the apostolic church as a denomination does not exist until you have local churches. It sounds obvious, but it has implications as to what, you know, how we handle things. And so the denomination is as strong as the local churches. It's as strong as the local churches. And so if we grow individual local churches, then we are growing denominations. Are you following me so far? It's basic, but we need to remind ourselves of that, that at the heart of it all is the local church. And so there is a saying that the hope of the church universal is the local church. That's the hope. The hope of the apostolic church, Ghana and the diaspora, are the individual local churches. So each local church must work to produce sustainable growth in the church. And as leaders who are running churches, you must endeavor to focus and brighten the corner that you are in. I have trouble with people who, in their local church, they are not doing what it, what, what it takes to grow the church, but then they will instruct people in the area and the national as to how to run the church. We had one person like that in the U.S., Apostle Ajuma probably knows the person. His local church is, is falling apart. But he feels that he has the expertise to tell the area administration how to run the area. The area does not exist if local churches don't exist. If local churches don't do well, the area does not exist. And so you must focus on that. Praise the Lord. So a healthy church focuses on the core mission, which is getting people to heaven. It's all about getting people to heaven. I'm afraid that we have many people we are taking to hell. And, and some, some ministers are taking their people, including themselves, they are taking them to hell. Praise the Lord. 
I'm just following the example of Apostle Jima and saying it like it is. Since he set the tone, you know. Hallelujah. I was doing a radio program many years ago in Worcester, and I said that I believe, I have this 80-20 rule I use, and I said I believe that in the church, only 20% are Christians, and then 80% are not Christians. And so I opened it up for people to call in, and somebody called in and said, Apostle, with all due humility, I think you're wrong. I think the number is that only 5% in the church are Christians, and everybody else are non-Christians. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So we have to remember that uh, there is a place that we are going. And it's, it's not about church programs and about this and that. It's that we are going to heaven and we have to run the churches so that we are taking people to heaven instead of taking them to hell. Amen. Now, let's talk about individual members then. So if the, the denomination exists because of local churches, then let's go into a local church. The local church exists because of individual members. A local church is not some institution. And so individual members aggregate to form the local church. And so the local church is as strong as the individual members. If the members are not there, you don't have a church. It's not the building. It's the members. It's the people. So if we want the local church to be strong, then it stands to reason that we have to get the members to be strong. If the members are strong and they come together, we have a strong church. And that calls for discipleship. Praise the Lord. If the individual members are growing because we are discipling them, then the church will be growing. And we disciple them by mentoring them on the word of God. Teaching them to obey the great commission. I've, I think four or five years ago at Apostle Company, I taught that the great commission really does not have evangelism in it. The Great Commission is not about evangelism. It's about discipleship. Because the evangelism that I see these days, you know, I know we have evangelists in the church and they go and they do their crusades and so on. I call it hit and run evangelism. You go, you do the thing, and then you leave. And then, you know, you leave them as uh, semi-pagans and, and then you think that they are going somewhere. They're not going anywhere. We need discipleship. And that is what the Great Commission said. He said, Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey. It's the word of God which is important. And if we are doing this, if we are doing this, then the theme for this Apostle Camp meeting will become a reality. God will return and sit on his chair because we are reverencing God. Praise the Lord. So our focus should be growing individual members holistically. We grow them by discipleship. If we don't, the church will be weak. As we grow individual members, here are goals that we have to keep in mind for the growth of individual members. One, there has to be, we have to strive to get them to have a genuine love of God. A genuine love of God. Not necessarily a genuine love of the church. A genuine love of God. If they have a genuine love of God, the other one follows automatically. We must focus on that. I know that we like apostolic pride and all of that. 
But sometimes I think we are into too much pride in the church and not pride in God and love of God. Our focus should be the love of God. Reverence for Jesus. Many of the things that happen in the church is because we don't fear God. If we reverence God, there are certain things you will not do. If you fear God, there are certain things you will not do. Sometimes I wish that we were in the old dispensation where, where, where you show a, a lack of fear of God. God strikes you and you die right away and then we move on. Because there's too much rampant, you know, abuse of, of godly things. The fear of God is very, very critical. And, we, we, you know, the next goal is that we have to teach people, we have to mentor them to seek ethical righteousness. That is right behavior. Shun sin. God is holy, and so we must be holy. There is no room for that, for, for, you know, sinning on the side. I'm not saying that we'll be perfect. There has to be that desire. We have to seek it. We have to work toward it. And because we are Adamic, yes, we would, you know, sin every now and then. But then, you know, God has given us the grace to be able to uh, pray for uh, forgiveness. But it should not be that our modus operandi is that we sin and then we ask for forgiveness. Sin and we ask for forgiveness. We should strive for ethical righteousness to behave the proper way. We have to value the Bible as the infallible word of God for our personal conduct. That is, the Bible should be our recourse when we need to make certain decisions. Any ethical decisions that we face in, in life, we should go to the Bible as a recourse. We have, to, we have to have our practices be based on, on, on sound, infallible word of God. One of the issues I've, I've been trying to analyze, you know, the temptations that ministers face. And I've come up with three that I think plagues ministers, in, in addition to others. But the three major ones are, one, financial abuse. Two, sexual immorality. Three, arrogance. If you're a minister listening to me today, these are the things that are going to plague you. And for some, all the three plague them. And you need to have this desire that you are going to fight this thing. You will not let these things have you. And if you're able to conquer these things, I can assure you, and, and if you're using visionary leadership that I'll talk about later, your church will grow. Because you will infect others. People want to be the way you are because you're following Christ. You're following Christ, they want to follow you, and then others will follow them and so on. You have organic growth in your church. The growth will start happening. Praise the Lord. You have to have authentic love for your neighbor. These are goals that the individual member should have. And the minister has to help the individual members to attain these goals. It should be in our teachings, in our preachings, in, in programs that we do. And, and, and if, we are, if members are beginning to get into this type of thing, you will find that the church will grow. You know, there's an issue about fundraising. If we get the members into these core things, and the church needs something, and you stand, and you say the church needs this, you, you, won't, you, you won't have any problems. They will just bring the money because they understand and they want to promote the work, work of God. Amen. Amen. 
the individuals themselves have a responsibility that they have to then uh, follow in order to be able to accomplish these goals that I've mentioned. One is that they have to totally surrender. Totally surrender. I came up with this term, totally surrender, because I was finding people in the church who feel like they have accepted Jesus as their personal savior, but not as their Lord. You know, when you come to accept the Lord, we say, raise your hands, and so we say, you know, Kadi Mechi, if I Jesus Christ, I take him as my personal savior and my Lord. But then in actuality, people operate as if they gain entrance into the church with salvation, but the lordship of Jesus Christ is not there. Jesus is not their master. Somebody else is their master. The church is their master. The leaders are their master instead of Jesus Christ being their master. And so I believe that total surrender means that you have ceased resistance that you used to offer to Jesus as Lord and you have given it up and he controls you now. You control of your affairs to Jesus Christ. If we resisted Jesus before, now we say, Jesus, we don't resist you anymore. That should be something that every member should be striving to, and the church has to help every member to be able to do that. So it's not partial surrender, but total surrender. Praise the Lord. And so total surrender, as I said before, is really making Jesus your personal Lord. He's your master. He controls you. And that is very critical in church growth. It's been known in major revivals of the Holy Spirit that one of the key things that caused church growth in those major revivals was individuals striving to obey the word of God, valuing the word of God as a principle for living and then following that word of God. If you examine historically, all the major revivals that have taken place in the world. That has been one major tenet. And so, if we want revival in the apostolic church, it's not going to be that some miracle happens somewhere, but it's going to be that members of the church, praise the Lord, Apostle, well, you can't, Arise when you are sitting down. Aposa! I believe you are listening to what I'm saying and you are going to arise and build. So, Aposa! Oh, some people, maybe I should say it in French before you understand what I'm talking about. That when you, I say Aposa, you arise means arise. Arise means sorry. I forget the French word for it, so I'm not going to say it. Aposa! Please be seated. Thank you. Hallelujah. Now, this total surrender that I'm talking about is very critical. So, I want to give you evidences of total surrender. A person has surrendered totally to Jesus Christ as their Lord. One, if they bear fruit. 
Jesus himself said it. By their fruit, we will recognize them. Yeah, nobody knows who is going to heaven. God knows. But then we can know by their fruit whether they are on the path. And if they are not on the path, then we should uh, try and correct them. Uh, the true believer, the one who has surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord, will be more interested in the fruit of the Spirit and not the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit are important. Don't get me wrong. But the, the, person, the person who has Jesus as their Lord will be more interested in the fruit of the Spirit. So I believe that the fruit of the Spirit trumps the gifts of the Spirit. Are you following me? It's very, very critical that we understand that. And that is what will bring true, sustainable church growth. When members are bearing the fruit of the Spirit. It is not the charismatic gifts that are as critical. But I submit to you that when members are displaying the fruit of the Spirit, automatically the charismatic gifts will begin to operate in such a way that it will be mind-blowing in, in the church itself. Praise the Lord. Apostle. Amen. Then there has to be some deeds that show that you have really totally surrendered. Apostle James talks about it, James 2.18, but some will say, you have faith? I have deeds. Show me your faith by, without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Uh, it's very important that there's something that demonstrates that Jesus is your Lord. And then the last one, and I'll summarize this section of it, is that there should be some evidence of your uh, shrinking away from sin in the sanctification process, that gradually you're moving away from sin and becoming more and more like Christ. And 1 John 3, 9 really teaches about the fact that the true believer, someone who has totally surrendered, would not have a tendency to sin. Yes, they might sin, but it will not be a tendency. 1 John 3, 9 says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. But if we see in the church that the leader himself, the pastor himself, is engaged in all kinds of sin, it will permeate the church. It is a spiritual thing. He will have a spiritual impartation of sin in the church. But when the pastor is also operating in a way that he is living you know, by the Spirit and not gratifying the desires of his sinful nature, that will also permeate his ch the church. He will impart the church spiritually with a desire, a quest for holiness. And as that happens, it, the church will start growing organically. Praise the Lord. Tell somebody, live a holy life. Tell somebody, live a holy life. Look in their face. Praise the Lord. Tell somebody, God is holy. His church is holy. He accepts you just as you are. But you must, but you must strive to live a holy life. Oh, give the Lord a big clap offering. Uh, 
I just want to give you a quote that was very instructive to me when I saw it some time ago. He, he said, simply put, the lack of sanctification is a sign of non-regeneration. That is, if somebody is not growing in Christ-likeness, then it is evidence that they are not saved. And if we, we have a bunch of unsaved people in the church, and we are promoting them to become deacons and elders and pastors, then what do you think will happen to the church? Are you following me? Yes, there are deacons and deaconesses who are not saved. There are elders who are not saved. There are pastors who are not saved. And I won't go beyond that. But draw your own conclusion. <laughs> draw your own conclusion. Praise the Lord. Are you following me? I'm just following our vice president's example. He said, you know, he's going to say it like it is, and I'm saying it like it is. It's, it's very, very critical. Amen. Let me continue with the individual's responsibility. The individual has to practice, and I keep emphasizing this, ethical righteousness, that is obey and practice the word of God. Have a daily Bible study. Daily Bible study. When I say the individual includes leaders as well. Some pastors and elders only study the Bible when they are going to preach. True or false? That, that's all. They only study the Bible when they are going to preach. So they don't study the Bible to impact themselves in order to, to grow in Christ-likeness. And if you do that, you, you are not developing yourself so you cannot impact the church. And in fact, I submit to you that when you are not studying the Bible to grow yourself, to have right conduct, it affects the way in which you preach. But if you do, when there's a topic that you are treating, you will find that you are pouring yourself into it, and it will show. You need to read the Bible for your own personal edification. You have to develop and live a biblical worldview, which means that you have to use the Word of God as the lens through which you look at the world. But we have people who are members of this church and something happens in the world, they will look at the thing with a secular worldview. Let's welcome our General Secretary. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You need to develop a personal prayer life. Personal prayer life. Some people like to go to prayer meetings and pray or lead prayers. I have nothing wrong with that. But when they are home, they don't pray. Am I speaking to somebody? They don't pray. They just like to lead prayers. Or they like to go into the prayer meeting, be part of the prayer warriors. I submit to you spiritually, if you are doing that, you put yourself at risk because you have not built yourself spiritually and then you want to participate in prayer, warriors. Well, when you're a warrior, there's somebody else who is trying to kill you and they will kill you. Hallelujah. Are you following me so far? So you need to pray for yourself 
In fact, I value my personal prayers more than the prayers that we do in the church. Because there are some things that I can do in my personal prayers that I cannot do in the church. So try and spend more time in the prayer at home instead of the church. Part of the reason I asked the question for the vice president to talk about family sacrifice is that, you know, sometimes we ministers, we get into this ministry thing and, and you know, we won't pray at home. We won't pray with our family at home, but we want to go and lead other people in prayers. We are sacrificing our family. We haven't been called to sacrifice them. Hallelujah. So you came to listen to church growth. I'm taking you on a totally different path that I believe is the right way to grow sustainable, healthy churches. It is spiritual development. And, and I'm trying not to use the term spiritual development too much because people would think that it is speaking in tongues. That's not what I'm talking about. Yes, I do speak in tongues, you know, and I, I, I have a, a deliverance ministry and all of that, but that is not as important as the Word of God and reverencing the Word of God and fearing God and, and doing what is right by God. Praise the Lord. Continuing on the individual's responsibility, the individual has to allow Holy Spirit direction and promptings. And that is why our, our verse for the shift agenda vision is very important. Acts 9.31b, living in the fear of God, living in the fear of the Lord, and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. If we reverence God, we fear God, we practice the word of God, we don't pay lip service to it. We surrender our heart. Today, we have cheap Christianity. In the early days, when you became a Christian, what you are saying is that you are declaring that Jesus is Lord. And by the way, Caesar is Lord. So when you declare that Jesus is Lord, you are repudiating Caesar as Lord. And that is tantamount to treason. And that is why the early Christians were killed. It was a, a, a Christianity that was expensive. Today, we have cheap Christianity. So when, when they, they, they accepted and they decided that Jesus was their Lord, it was not done in a very simple way. But it was done with deliberate purpose. With a desire to surrender to him. Even unto death. The sacrifice that our vice president spoke about. We don't sacrifice. All we want is position. I remember many years ago, we asked somebody to be in charge of the, the music in the USA, and we gave him a certain title. I think we call him uh, the band leader or something like that. And, and uh, after about, Apostle may remember, Apostle Ajoy may remember, after about a year, he did nothing. And then when we were going to a convention, he hadn't organized anybody. When I called him, he said he doesn't like the title band leader. So he didn't do anything. He wanted to be called music minister. Praise the Lord. Titles. If you do the work, the titles will come. But you want the title first before you do the work. So when I was running Worcester as a local, 
I try to de-emphasize, with our apologies to our tenants, I try to de-emphasize the ordained positions of deacon, deaconess, and elder. Because people were striving for those. And when the person gets it, we are deaconesses who were doing nothing. Because they had becoming a deaconess means they have become a queen in the church. Hallelujah. And I came to find out when I came to council some time ago that it was happening in Ghana as well. The elders became like the um, nananum of the church. <laughs> Aposa! We are shifting. We are shifting. We are shifting. Oh, give the Lord a big clap offering. The local church's responsibility. Discipleship is key. I, 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 I will encourage you to explore, if you're a leader of a church, explore discipleship because it's very important. The prime discipler in the church should be either the presiding elder or the local pastor. And the way it's done, is done in the form of a tree structure. That is, see, the, 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 past, the local pastor or presiding elder disciples two or three people. You can't disciple a lot of people. Discipleship is like mentoring. You take a few people, you pour yourself into them. You show them everything you know, how to live right. When they have questions about ethical questions, they come to you. You use the Bible to show them the right way to go. Gradually, they are learning how to live like Christ. And then those people, as they grow, they then take other people in the church under their wings and disciple them. So if I disciple two people and those two people each disciple two, we begin to impact the church. And then it keeps going on. So it's like a tree structure. The main disciple is at the root of the tree, and then you have the branches going forward. And as I taught five years ago, that produces multiplicative growth instead of additive growth. And it is sustainable growth because the people are becoming true Christians. Many years ago, I remember people would come to the Worcester church to minister, and they would say, the Worcester members, they are docile. But it's not because they were naturally that way, but because of how we developed them. And so that they reverence. Even this whole local church, Brighton, your local church phenomena, was in Worcester so that when things were happening rough at the U.S. area level, it did not affect the local church. Because you made them aware that it's your local church. You need to develop your local church. Let the things go on at the area. Focus on your church. Brighten your, tell somebody, brighten your corner. Amen. The minister, for those of you who have taken flights before, it's very important that the minister develop himself. When you take a flight, they give you instructions. If there is low oxygen, Masks will follow, will fall, and they will tell you that you should put on your mask first before you put on a mask for your child or any dependent. And it's the same way in growing a church is that first the minister has to really develop himself. I keep emphasizing that. And if you develop yourself, 
then you can go develop others. But if you are not developed, what, what can you pour? If you are, you are empty, what can you pour into somebody else? You can't pour anything into them. You have to fill yourself. When I talk about filling yourself, filling yourself by the study of the word of God, by prayer, by fasting, meditation, that is practicing the spiritual disciplines. And then you can pour yourself into somebody else. So, the local church must begin with the main discipler. And he must be spiritually developed. The minister must have that type of development that can impact the church positively. You go to the Bible, we find that there are some requirements for how ministers should be that are more spiritual. And yet, it doesn't seem like these days we follow those requirements. If you go to when Moses was killing himself doing the judgment in the camp, Jethro came to him and said, you need to restructure this thing. Have a hierarchical structure. But the people we are going to put in the various places in this hierarchical structure, Exodus 18, 21, he says, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God. Fear God. Trustworthy. Men who hate dishonest gain. The vice president was talking about that. And appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds, fifties and tens. That's in the hierarchical structure. But these are, these are the qualities. He didn't say that appoint people who can also raise a staff and part the Red Sea. Are you following me so far? People who fear God. And I'm not talking about people who fear the church hierarchy. That's not what I'm talking about. Who fear God himself. I'm not saying that people should not fear the church hierarchy. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm trying to lay the right emphasis. Because sometimes when you say fear God, some people have taught somewhere as if fearing God means fearing them. No, I'm talking about fearing God. Hallelujah. Some of you know who I'm talking about. Anyway. We'll move on. Maybe I'll get myself into trouble by following the vice president too much. But I'm retired anyway. No one can do anything to me. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm flowing with retirement anointing today. Tell somebody the retirement anointing is flowing. <laughs> Amen. If you go to First Timothy chapter 3, Apostle Paul talks about, you know, the qualifications of overseer. The first one he, 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 he states in that list is, you should be above reproach. He never said the overseer should do miracles. I want to emphasize again, miracles are good, but they are not, you know, the heart of the thing. They will, they will come if you're doing it. Above reproach was number one. John Wesley wrote the following. He said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen, they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on, on earth. Did you get that or should I read it again? Is it... Is it in my slide? I don't, I don't remember whether it's in my slide. It's, it's in my slide, right? Okay, let me just put it up then. 
I should go back. Oh, yes. Yes, it's there. Praise the Lord. It is very, very, very important. This is how revivals happened in the past. You read the great revivalists. John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards in, in, the, in the USA, they were all preaching. Jonathan Edwards preached one day a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it caused a great revival. Understand in that church service, people were weeping and crying because they knew they had done wrong by God. They were in the church, but they were not saved. We need to evangelize our own local churches. Maybe we should put a moratorium on going out and evangelizing outside and evangelize our own people inside because we are taking too many people to hell. Are you following me? Tell somebody, evangelize your local. <laughs> and then disciple them. <laughs> Amen. Let me go on to the other thing. What the church must do. The minister... Have I gone too far? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The minister must be more missionary and less institutional. An institutional pastor is inward focused. He oversees established structures and systems in the church. And he expects people to come because the church is there. Because the church is called Apostolic Church. In the U.S. we have a saying, if you build it, they will come. So he does nothing. He just sits there. He's like a babysitter and they show up. That's an institutional pastor. Then there is what is called a missionary pastor. A missionary pastor is externally, externally focused. He reaches into the community and brings people into the church. It's an active thing. He sets up or changes structures and systems in the church in order to facilitate discipleship of members. So his goal is to enable the members to grow. And if there are things that exist that are, that are preventing that process, he will change them because the goal is to get them to heaven. Are, are you following me? It requires visionary leadership, which we'll talk about very soon. Discipleship creates what I call contagious Christians. Contagious Christians are Christians who have so much immersed themselves in the Lord that when people come into their orbit, they are immediately influenced by their Christ-likeness. And so they infect other people with their Christ-likeness. And so the minister himself has to be contagious. So that when, when he starts talking to people, he starts interacting with people, his language, his mannerism, his ways of dealing, his thought process, his worldview, his way of looking at things, his conduct, all of it is such that people are drawn into it and they want to be like him. Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. The minister has to have that. You are the mentor. You are the leader. I told somebody some time ago that if, if the minister is even ugly, when they stand in front of the pulpit, they look beautiful. True or false? Okay. So the, the minister has to be the first contagious person. He infects other people. 
And it's through discipleship, he infects them. Everybody, then people become contagious. They infect other people. Even when they go to work, they infect them. We need to be contagious Christians. Tell somebody you need to be a contagious Christian. If we have contagious Christians in the church, the church will grow organically, meaning that you'll find that there is growth in individual members, and when they go out they start interacting with people, people will follow them to church because they want to know where this person goes to church. Hallelujah. That leads me to the quote that I have here. Churches that are healthy tend to be committed to discipleship and focus on the things that Jesus focused on. Jesus focused on discipleship. Jesus took 12 people, and for three years, he poured himself into them. Obviously, his percentage was 11 out of 12, which is not bad. And then the, the 11 reproduced themselves, and you are the result of those 11. Are you following me so far? You are the result. I'm a result of those 11. Discipleship is very critical. And so if you're in a church that doesn't have any form of discipleship program, please start thinking about how to start one because that is the way in which your church will grow sustainably in a healthy way. Discipleship promotes sustainable growth. Most of my time, I'm going to hurry through here. Uh, discipleship, as I said before, is really the great commission. Um, today's evangelism is a hit and run. Discipleship turns the evangelized into disciples and, and builds trust and motivation in the disciples. The disciples, they have trust and motivation, so they work hard. And the fact that discipleship is multiplicative. Let me deal with the last one, and I'll open it up for questions. Visionary leadership. In addition to doing all of this, the church will not grow if you don't have a vision as to where you're taking the church. There are different dimensions of vision, of, of leadership styles. And I myself have taught in other places about uh, transactional leadership and transformational leadership as one dimension and comparing the two, the other types of leadership style. But as I was thinking about this topic, I came, came up with my own list of leadership styles. It doesn't mean the others are wrong, the others are right, but I'm just looking at a different dimension of leadership. I've come up with three different leadership styles. One I call babysitting leadership. Babysitting leadership. Uh, if you don't have children, you may not know what I'm talking about, but hopefully I'll help you. <laughs> you know, a babysitting leadership, the babysitter who is taking care of your children, you, you, you bring somebody in, not you, but you the parent, you bring somebody in to take care of your children. They take care of the needs of the children while they are with them, but they are not responsible for the growth of the children because they just come. They are high at hand. They, they, they come for a moment, for two hours, three hours, take care of your children. They are not responsible for the growth of your children. There are some leaders who operate like babysitters. They just come, take care of the needs of the church until they are transferred to the next station. They're not interested in the growth of the church. They're just babysitting the church. That's why Apostle Ajima spoke about the English services that are 20, and then 10 years later, there are still 20 people babysitting. Caretaker leadership style is similar. 
A caretaker is somebody who takes care of a property. And they are there to make sure that, you know, the lights are working, the facility is usable, they clean. If something breaks that is minor, they fix it. Major things, they, they won't fix it. They don't know how to fix it. They're just taking care of the building. There's nothing wrong with that. Need people like that as well. There are some people who run churches that way. Where they're just trying to make the church continue to operate business as usual. The way it is. Whether it's good, whether it's bad, it doesn't matter. Just the way it is. Then there is the, what I call the ownership leadership style. The parent has to have ownership leadership style because the children are his. And he desires to grow them. So he comes up with ways in which to grow the children. He comes up with the necessary funds to grow the children, to send them to school. He thinks about various ways in which the children will do better. He comes up with different disciplines, different rules in the house. And so the children grow. And when the children grow, they are the pride of his because he's reared them well. The ownership leader in a church is interested in growing the church. And so he's not just a babysitter or a caretaker. He's trying to get the church to go somewhere to reach a certain point beyond where they were. He's taking them on a journey. The visionary leadership style is an ownership leadership style. That is, you cannot be a visionary if, and I'm not talking about owning the church as if it's yours. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about owning the growth of the church. You take ownership of it. Praise the Lord. And when you take ownership of it, you would want to take that church somewhere. And let me talk a little more about that. You have a vision when, you are, when you're a visionary leader with ownership leadership style. You have a vision. You have a place where you want to take the church. And in taking the, the church to that place, you'll find that the church will grow. People will come to the church. They'll be excited about the church. They'll be excited about where the church is going. They'll be interested in participating in this great journey. And that stimulates growth because it, it, the, the vision will draw them. And we have a vision that has been uh, put in the shift agenda. But in addition to that, in your local, you should have a vision as well for your local because your local, you, have, you know the, the peculiar circumstances in your local. You're operating with the vision that comes from national, and then you, ha you should have a vision at the local that supports the national. And if you have a vision of the local, it will help people to go on that journey that you want to take them. So the visionary leader takes the church to the place that has been envisioned. And so he will do the things that are necessary to take them there. Jesus has a vision. I'll state his vision now. But Proverbs 29, 18 talks about the fact that where there is no vision, the people perish. The people, they languish. There is no vision. They don't know where you're going. You just, you know, some people come to church every Sunday. They come, they go, they come, they go, they come, they go. There, there is no excitement as to where the church is going. 
Jesus had a vision, and that's what he, he gave them in Acts 1.8. Jesus had several visions, but I think Acts 1.8 was something that pushed the people. And even when they were reticent, when they were not following that vision, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, caused them to follow that vision. You know, he said that you will be, first, Holy Spirit will come upon you and empower you, and then you witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world, showing progressively how they should proceed. And then they were sitting in Jerusalem, as we say, fat, dumb, and happy. And then the Holy Spirit looked at them and said, you guys, you're not following the vision. Persecution breakouts. Persecution broke out. And now, they had to spread. And that's what caused the spread. If you sit fat, dumb, and happy in your local, there will be trouble in your local. I don't wish it so for you, but I'm just letting you know spiritual things. But if you begin to have a vision and move and work to grow your church, you'll find that the Holy Spirit will support your, your desire. I went too fast. Ah, no, I did not go too fast. So let me just summarize then with what I began with. All I'm trying to say is this. If you grow yourself holistically, if you grow yourself holistically, you end up growing members of the church, individuals in the church. And then that will cause growth in the church itself. So I don't have 10 lists of things to do for church growth, I have one. That one is grow yourself holistically and that will cause growth in individual members of the church and cause holistic growth in the church, a growth that is sustainable and healthy. Amen. I pray that you follow this, you commit to your own continuing growth in the Lord the Lord will bless you greatly. All other things will follow. Miracles will follow. I promise you that if you, if you follow this path, miracles will happen in your ministries. And that will even bring more people back. When those people come, please, disciple them. Otherwise, they will fall away. God bless you. Apostle, we thank God so much for this session. Apostle, God richly bless you. Um, we would take two questions from below, two from the upper part, and they likewise do on the right. Um, if the usher can please help us with a microphone. Daddy, I thank you so much for this deep revelation. And I want to ask two questions. The first one is, uh, some people are fighting for positions, digging, diggingers, and others. And after giving them that position, they become dormant. The work you ask them to do, they will not do it. What should you do as the leader over there? The second one is, you are discipling the membership so that they will grow holistically and you are at the root 
and you ask someone, maybe uh, an old member who you think is old in the Christian uh, dorm, and he, can, he or she can develop the disciple. At the end of the day, they end up quarreling. What should you do to that person? Thank you. Please, any more from the front? Uh, yes, we will come there. If we don't have any here, then we will move. Thank you, Apostle. Please, my question is, you are at the village where this uh, church membership, the figure is uh, 10. You have 10 members. And the Sunday school, you have about 40, 50 members who are matured. Can you shift your discipleship to the Sunday school and disciple them so that you promote them to the adults? That's my question. Thank you, Apostle. Um, please, my question is, is it possible to reassign or in a way the dickness or the the deacon or the elder, once you realize that the person is not performing. We'll hold on for Apostle to answer and then we will continue. Praise the Lord. I was hoping I'll get questions on church growth, but I'm getting questions on some of the tangential things that I mentioned, but that, that is good. We'll start from the last one. Should you reassign a deacon? A deacon or deaconess or elder who is not performing. Um, you know, some churches, some denominations have dealt with this by making those roles, uh, having term limits for those roles. So that if somebody is ordained as a deacon, they're ordained as a deacon for five years. After that, they are no longer a deacon. So you can judge their performance and if necessary, you can renew them. Some churches have done that. Um, I'm not suggesting that necessarily for apostolic chair, but that, that deacon, deaconess, and all the lay ministries have 10 limits in some of the churches. One of the things that I did in our church in Worcester, when the deaconesses were not working, and not only were they, were, were they not working, they were quarreling among themselves, and not only that, the members were telling us that the deaconesses were not behaving like deaconesses. And we had a special seat for the deaconesses, as we do in many of our churches. So I met with them, and I told them the, the plain truth that they are not working, you are quarreling, and the members know you are quarreling. And then the members were also, oh, were also saying that the gossip that is perpetrated in the church was originating from the deaconesses. Am I talking only about Worcester? I'm talking about other churches here. Praise the Lord. Aposa. So, you know, I have to operate within the apostolic ecclesiastical order. I cannot fire the deaconesses, even though I wanted to. So what I did was I met with them and gave them a warning. I said, you need to change. If not, in a year's time, I'll do something about it. 
a year's time, we met. I met the Deaconesses again. They had not changed. And I told them, people say, you are quarreling. And they said, no, so far we are not quarreling. And then while we were doing the meeting, the two of them started quarreling within the meeting itself. <laughs> and I told them, you see, I don't have to speak any further. So what I did was I said, I'm abolishing the seating of the thickness. They will sit in a regular church. And the reason is that the reputation of the church was at stake. Because when people come to church who are not members of the church, they see these dicknesses sitting there, and they know that these dicknesses are gossipers. It's ruining the reputation of the church. So I removed the dicknesses seating, and so that they are not visible. So if somebody is not a member of the church, they won't know that they are dickness. And so I said they should sit in the congregation. And that I believe I had the power to do, so I did. <laughs> and then, you know, one of them came to me and begged me, I should allow them to sit in the front row. And I said, no. If you come early, you can sit in the front row. If you don't come early and other people sit in the front row, well, so be it. And that's how I dealt with the dicknesses in, in, in our local. And I focused more on getting uh, and giving people ministry work rather than ordained positions. Are you following me? So I, I didn't look at what your ordained role is. If your gift, if you're a member and you have a gift for preaching, I'll let you preach on Sunday. And I let some people preach on Sunday. Eventually, they become pastors now in the U.S. If you're an ordinary woman member and you have some gifts, I will let you come and present that on a Sunday. I will not look at it like it is the province of the elder or the deacon or the deaconess. I'm looking for ministries. Who has ministries that they can exercise? So we have to be careful not to glorify the ordained positions because of the state that we are in. Perhaps after a few years, when people start striving to fear God, they will, we, we can bring back the you know, the ordained positions. But I, have, I just have trouble with people abusing those ordained positions because they don't want to work. They just want the title. I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I'm a, I'm, I'm a deaconess. I like to work. I work hard. I, 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 that's one thing I will boast. I don't care about whatever, whatever degrees I have, but I work hard. And I just feel like when I'm running a church and I'm working hard and you are in the church and you are not working hard and you have a title, then you are, you are cheating me. I'm doing all the work and you are taking the title. Are, are you following me? Yeah. If I work, work. Um, ten members, 40 Sunday school members, you move some of them to membership. Well, you know, Sunday school, uh, children's Sunday school is very, very important. The things that they learn in children's Sunday school is different from the main church. So if you premature move them, they may miss some things. So I would suggest that rather, the 10 members, you need to follow a discipleship program that hopefully will, you know, bring about growth in the church instead of artificially moving the members over. An old member in the church who was asked to disciple somebody and they started quarreling with them. I've experienced that before where, you know, as a minister, you explore different things and uh, we, we were exploring, exploring uh, small cell groups. Um, and the cell group, groups that we formed, 
I found that some of them, they go and they just gossip instead of doing, you know, we had an outline of things that he had to do. And we have to abolish those cell groups. So you have to be vigilant about looking at, at, at those things. Don't assume that somebody who's been in the church 40 years old, 40 years, is necessarily old in the Lord. They may not even be saved. And they need to be evangelized. So when you are a minister and you go someplace, study the people. Don't go by the recommendations that people bring to you immediately you arrive. Immediately you arrive, there are people who come to you and say, this person is good, you should use them. No, study them yourself and look for ethical righteousness. People who are living by God. There are some people, they can lead prayers till kingdom come. But when they leave the church, their life is nasty. They should not be leading prayers. It hurts the church. So watch the people before you start using them. So you should not allow somebody who has been in the church 40 years to disciple others when you don't know whether they're a good disciple. Why should they be quarreling? If, 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 if they're a good disciple, they, they, they will not be quarreling with the people that they are discipling. What should you do when ordained people become dormant? Fire them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I am kidding. You know, I'm joking. <laughs> Hallelujah. What should you do when ordained people become dormant? What I did was, I didn't use them, but I used regular members to do the things that the ordained people would do, would normally do. And, but if I had the option, that's what I would do is fire them. Someday the church um, will come up with a way of dealing with this issue. Many, many years ago, a committee was formed uh, from council to look at this very issue, but I don't think any uh, results came from that committee, and maybe that's something that um, this administration may look at in the future, the issue of ordained people not working. Thank you. Apostle. Um, Apostle, um, I would like to ask this question. Um, my question is that um, does um, entrepreneurial skills play a role in um, church growth? And the next question is that, um, um, for, um, with the first question I asked, for example, you could see that um, when Jesus was preaching. Please hold on. And your first question again was, that's entrepreneurial skills play a role in church growth. Okay. For example, we know that Jesus, um, when he was preaching, he um, did play, um, he did exercise the customer service role where he fed the 5,000 people. So does that also play a role? Because he fed, he, he, okay. Two. Do you channel, um, like, does external factors like technology also play a role in that aspect? Thank you. Apostle, um, Apostle, please, I want to ask, is it a must that as you are an officer of the church, you should do the discipleship thing? 
because some of us, we can't go out, but when they bring them in, we try to manage them or keep them. So is it a must that we should go? I want to ask this question. Dealing with difficult members, I mean members that will not submit to the authority or your authority, how will you disciple them? Okay, one thing I also realize and about local is that we are able to um, have a lot of people coming to receive Christ as their savior. But then we have just few who become grounded. I mean, those who stay. So I want to find out um, what do you think is a technique that we can use to be able to re um, get those ones to be grounded in Christ. And then the next thing is that, um, Apostle, you were talking about um, the need for visionary leaders. I want to find out that for every year, even as we are entering into 2020, do you think it will be prudent for the leadership to have a focus for the year and all the movements within that locale adhere to that? Do you think that that can help um, the locale to grow? Okay, so Apostle will try to address them and then we will take the last batch of questions. We had uh, the question on entrepreneurial skills playing a role in church growth. Um, there are many things that support church growth, but my purpose today was to take you to the root of church growth, which is that the leader has to develop himself spiritually. And when I say spiritually, that is reverencing God, doing the things of God, living holiness in order to affect the people. Now, when that happens, you need other structures and mechanisms to support that growth. So that is where entrepreneurship will come in to support the growth. Technology will come in to support the growth. But they will not. Those things will not grow the church holistically, it will not grow the church sustainably, and it will not grow the church in a healthy way. Because you could just start a church and get instruments and get, you know, uh, the screens and everything, and have programs to draw people into it. But you end up amassing people who are pagans that you are taking to hell, including yourself. So, those things can come in to support the growth that what I'm talking about today um, will, will bring about. And, and, and those, uh, I remember when I started, I said that uh, some people will present church growth and they will say, these are the 10 things that you should do. Many times those things that they are saying are really valuable for supporting the growth that comes when you focus on the, the book of Acts type growth. You will need those things to support it. But those things don't bring about sustainable, healthy growth, okay? I'm not talking about just numerical growth. I really want you to understand. I'm talking about sustainable, healthy growth, healthy growth. We are taking people to heaven, not to hell. I don't want God to ask me when I get to heaven why I send so many people to hell. Praise the Lord. 
I want everybody to be in heaven with me. I want all of you to be in heaven with me. Amen. Um, then the next question was, and, and you, the, the person who asked that question talked about the customer service rule, the fact that Jesus fed the 5,000. And obviously, you know that the 5,000 that he fed, he fed all of them left him. You know, Jesus had the greatest disaster in ministry that I can ever remember. <laughs> he was left with like 12 people, you know, after running a mega church of close to 10,000 people. If it was this era that we are in, that person, the leader will commit suicide from 10,000 to 12. Uh, the food didn't do anything for them, did it? So he didn't do it as a means of church growth. He did it contextually for that particular situation where he felt compassion for them because they were hungry. You know, people are hungry, feed them. Praise the Lord. And Jesus was, was doing teachings, and the teachings he was doing was probably long teaching. And people are hungry, they can't grasp what you are saying. And that is why somebody was talking about fasting and learning. Sometimes in school it's hard when you are fasting and you have to learn some tough things, you know. Your brain cannot grasp the things very well. So the next question was, do officers have to do discipleship? They can't go out. Um, I think that there was a confusion as to what discipleship is. Uh, discipleship is, is within the church. It is evangelism that brings them out. So when I was speaking, when I said evangelism is hit and run, I was not trying to diminish the role of evangelism. But the role of evangelism should be seen as going out and bringing the people inside. Once they come, there must be strong discipleship. If there isn't strong discipleship, then the people will go because... And, and somebody asked a question about that, said that um, when the, a lot of people come to accept the Lord, but few stay. Because in our churches, we don't have strong discipleship program. When people accept the Lord, we must immediately assign them to, to people who disciple them as mentors. They'll keep track of them. They'll call them. They'll go visit them. They'll make them their friend so that the person will trust them and come to them. If you don't, if you just, they come to accept the Lord, uh, maybe you invite them to come to the new member training session, and after that you are done, they may fall away. They may fall away. You need a discipleship program. Praise the Lord. Um, Tamasi 5, and since I came back, I haven't asked, but they have a, a program they call the Seeker Service. I think the Seeker Service is still there. And the seeker service for people who are new in the church. And it was interesting to me because in that seeker service, they are teaching their people some very fundamental basis. They are teaching them that just even what the books of the Bible are. Because we all assume that we went to Sunday school, but some people never went to Sunday school. They are teaching them apostolic hymns, how to sing the songs. Fundamental things like that. So a seeker service is a good component of a discipleship program, then in addition, you assign people as mentors to make sure that those people are staying in the church. Um, we say that we have a, a front door and a, a back door in the church, and you have to be careful that you don't bring a thousand people through the front door and let them out through the back door. You have a net of zero, you know, so church growth means that you have to have the things that will Keep them in the church. And I believe that discipleship is the key for doing that.
dealing with difficult members, uh, how to disciple them. Well, one, you need to pray about difficult members. Uh, some difficult members, depending on the, the difficulty that they are displaying, it could mean that they are not saved. So you need to pray for their salvation. Some difficult members may be because you yourself are difficult, and so they are resisting your difficulty. Uh, are you following me? Apostle. So I don't want to rush to judgment and say that somebody is difficult. And the reason is that I have been labeled as difficult before. So I understand what it means to be labeled as difficult. Hallelujah. So sometimes when people are not doing the right things in the church and somebody is talking about those things, then they say he's difficult. So let's be very careful about that. But if the person is being difficult in some ways that is inconsistent with the word of God, even if something is going wrong in the church, but they use ways that are inconsistent with the word of God, two wrongs don't make a right. We need to pray. Maybe they don't know the Lord. They need to come to accept the Lord. And then you need to disciple them. Um, so difficult members can be discipled. Use prayer. And in the process of discipling them, they may come to accept the Lord. Do you need to have a focus for the year? I talked about the vision, having a vision in the, in the local church. And I think that's what the person who asked the question may be referring to. If not, I believe that that is what you need. That is, you need to have some vision as to where you are taking the church. If you have a vision in the local as to where you are taking the church, that, that will help you as you enter 2020 to do the things that are necessary. See, when you have a vision, it will cause you, when you have a vision, you should examine the things that you do in the church. And if something in the church does not support that vision, you should not be doing it. But if you keep doing the things that are not supporting your vision, then you are becoming like a babysitter leader where you're just doing what is in the church. Or you're becoming an institutional pastor. You need to look at the vision and then examine the things that you do in the church. There are some things that are required by apostolic church in our practices to be done. Yes, you do those things. But there are other things that people have done that are just traditions. And traditions are not doctrine. We have to be careful in our our churches, to be able to distinguish between the two. There's tradition and there's doctrine. And Jesus was, was, was very angry uh, about those who were pu pushing traditions. And he was pushing doctrine. And that is what uh, Apostle Ajima even spoke about and make references to the Beatitudes in, in Matthew 5. So uh, you always have to look at that and make sure that you are heading in the right direction with vision, examining whether something is a tradition or something is doctrinal to the church. I believe I've handled all of them. We will take the last set. Thank you. I believe this question is partly answered with the last explanation Apostle gave. Pastor, please, I want to know that in your quest to being a visionary leader, you are faced with a policy restriction in the church, but you believe that in your heart of hearts, you, you needed that to be done to solve a peculiar problem. Do you go ahead or you only go to the extent to which the policy allows you? Thank you. 
extreme back. Thank you, Apostle. My question has to do with, we're hearing some emphasis uh, regarding spiritual, but I want to ask a simple question. What is spirit? That's my question. What is spirit? Because sometimes we, we find sometimes either some people making a lot of noise or something to depict that is more spiritual than. So I'm trying to understand what is spirit so that maybe we distinguish from charismatism and stuff. Thank you. I want to um, ask, growing the local church, there is a, an observation that most of the midweek services receive low attendances. And the observation is that some of the people stay, let's say, in Medina, and they fellowship at Dansuma, and realize that attending the midweek services will be a challenge for such members. And one observation is that the person may be an elder in Dansuma, and that is not the eldership uh, is not transferable. So, such under such circumstances, how do we ensure that we grow the local church so that the pe people can use their gift to disciple and to grow, knowing that we can attend service only once a week, looking at the distances? Thank you very much. Um, my question is, having considered the major discourse of this, uh, uh, the major discourse of this meeting, which is the emphasis on the sustainable healthy church. So my question is, in a situation whereby you work under a leader, and we know it's a collective responsibility for the church to grow. Now you work under a leader, and um, it's, not, it's not buying your idea for discipleship. For instance, you have people around you that you try to disciple, but because he's a leader and you're under him, so he's looking at the place of the ego to bring you down whenever you bring anything to see that people are discipled in the way of God. So what can you do in this situation? Should you, should you report such a person to a constituted authority or you should go ahead and confront him just to ensure that you have discipleship? Hello. Thank you, Pastor. This, I want to ask what uh, education uh, can be given to some delay ministers? Because some some of them are appointed or ordained uh, based on the experience they've had from the Asian. They depend on that and they are not updated, and when you want to introduce a new thing, like what we are learning here, when you go, they refute it. So please, I want to know the education I'm giving to these ordained ministers for them to also be abreast with. Apostle. Uh, hello, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, this is actually a follow-up to what Apostle actually answered earlier. That, um, okay, growing up, we have come to know that certain things are done in the church only by people who are ordained. Apostle indicated that people who are not actually pulling, 
he asked or he looked for people who are not ordained but are capable to do the job. I want to find out from him what are the challenges he faced in allowing somebody who is not ordained to be performing the role of an ordained elder or a deaconess. How did he surmount those challenges? Thank you. Uh, Apostle God, which bless you for the insights you have provided so far. Um, a lot of the emphasis have been on the local church, not even the area, not the national. In that regard, my personal observation, I'm asking, since uh, money is very important in the growth of any church, and with their policy of bring you all, and the little observation I've made, it looks as if when we bring you all, the locals find themselves struggling just to even buy basic necessity for church growth. I'm asking in two folks. One, uh, the national, do we have a policy that the bring you all has lived for some time, has continued for some time? Are we going to now allow the locals to also grow in that regard? And two, uh, is there a way uh, the church can help with strategy so that the local church can leverage on in terms of financial breakthrough and come out with some of these basic things? Thank you. Last two questions. Thank you for the delivery. Uh, you made mention that the church or the local church is not grown based on programs. But here is a case where your superior would basically assess you mostly on probably programs you've run, miracles occurring in the church, and then your um, ability to raise and meet financial targets. And I believe that your superior probably is also assessed on the same thing. How do we marry the two? Making sure that you go through this, I believe uh, it will take some time, but also how do you make sure that you don't get yourself into trouble? Amen. All right. Uh, okay, Apostle, my question is re in regards to discipleship. I would like to ask, uh, after Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he chose 12 disciples and there was no female among them. So, in our quest to disciple people, I would like to ask if you will advise that uh, a male should disciple a female and vice versa. Thank you very much. Thank you, too. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I, I like the last question. <laughs> After the fasting, I thought we were going somewhere, then it became discipling male, discipling females. Um, it is best that a female disciple a female, and male a male, because there are some unique challenges that each of the sexes have that will be appropriately handled. And, uh, you know, I've been stressing holiness. We don't want to put people in temptations. So it's very important. Sometimes uh, people can develop a certain reliance upon the opposite sex because they are doing something for them, and then they may cross some boundaries. So um, in, in, in the 120 people that met after Jesus resurrected and left, when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit power to come, there were women in that group. Praise the Lord. And so I even believe that the Jerusalem Council, when they met, there were women in that group. 
So discipleship is not restricted to men. And I highly recommend in our context that women disciple women, men disciple men. Um, I will leave, bring you all for president. <laughs> and I will leave the superior, your superior assesses you on programs and fund targets to president. Amen. This is the only time I can delegate upward. <laughs> so let me go to the other ones. <laughs> That's the retirement anointing is flowing. <laughs> Poly, uh, if there is a, you're trying to be a missionary pastor and there's a policy that is affecting the things that you have to do, um, it's very important that we have order in the church. So, you know, there, let me take a different dimension of leadership. There are two types of leadership uh, styles that you can have in a different dimension, transactional leadership and transformational. Transformational means that you are bringing about growth in the people that you are running. Transactional means that you're just following rules. And sometimes when you're thrust in a position like that, within your sphere of authority, you need to operate transformational. But beyond your sphere, you have to operate transactionally. It's a hybrid. Because there has to be order. The church is big. If everybody decides that they don't like some policies, so their uh, missionary pastors, they're going to do it different, there will be uh, disorder in the church. So let's uh, try. And then, then what you need to do is you need to pray that if that policy is not favorable, that policy will change. And you also need to explore, be creative, find ways in which you can operate within that policy to be missionary. What is spirit? Somebody answered, God is spirit. But I think the real question he was asking is spiritual development. Yeah. And I had answered that question. If I said it before, that I'm not talking about the fact that you can pray in tongues 100 miles per hour. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about fear of God. So when I say spiritual development, develop yourself in your fear of God, in practicing the word of God, in your personal prayer, you know, in your behavior, that's spiritual. Spiritual is not, I, as I told you, I have a deliverance ministry. Spiritual is not deliverance ministry. The fact that you can lay hands and demons will come out is not what I'm talking about. Those things will come out as a result of being spiritually developed. Being spiritually developed, which is reverencing the word of God, reverencing Jesus, loving God, uh, having right behavior, ethical behavior, that's, I believe, is a person who is spiritual. Midweek services, um, I, I, I don't understand how really that connects here, but I've been in a uh, one session we had at Frafraha where people were raising the issue that we have elders in one part of Accra, but they travel all the way to another part of Accra because they don't want to go to the church that is close to them. And... Um, I believe that if the churches, local churches focus on each other and they are developing, this midweek service issue may not be an issue because the people that you've discipled, the people that you've discipled, they will want to come to the midweek service. We don't disciple people, you know, so our churches have become Sunday churches because we, they, they don't see the importance of coming to equip themselves with Bible study. The by the grace of God, my wife and I, we planted uh, four churches in, in where we were. And I found out that one of the things that made the churches 
become well established was practical uh, application Bible study. How do you live your life? And if you are discipling people that way, they want to come to the Wednesday Bible study. Is the Wednesday Bible study uh, or the midweek services may not be that important to them because they don't really understand uh, their relationship with God or desire to increase their relationship with God. If you work on a, a leader and he's not buying the idea of discipleship, should you report him to the authorities? Um, no. Pray. Pray hard. Um, and I'll have the president take this one also, but my suggestion to you is that I believe in the power of prayer. Tell somebody I believe in the power of prayer. I believe in prayer as, uh, as a, a means of remote control. You know, remote control you use for your TV. You can sit somewhere and you can change the channels on the TV. I really believe, I think Christians don't believe in the power of prayer the way they should. And so if my leader does not like what I am bringing, I will pray that the leader will change. And maybe what I'm bringing is not as good. Maybe you came here, I taught this thing, and then you go and you, are, you think you are trying to bring it, but you are doing it in the wrong way. Maybe you are. That's why the person is resistant. Um, Jonathan Edwards said, and I don't have the direct quote, but he says that the church will have much success if we think our minister is doing something wrong and we pray for them, we storm the gates of hell and pray for them to change. He says that as we pray, if the problem is the pastor, God will change the pastor. If the problem is us, God will change us. Are you following? So let's be careful not to make assumptions as to whether the leader is buying the idea or not. Let's use prayer. And the uh, president can address this uh, if, if he wants to add to it. What education can be given to ordained ministers? I think the shift agenda has some things that is going to happen, so I will just say it that way. Number six, what challenge did I get when I did not use ordained leaders and I used other leaders to do the work? Um, I really didn't have any challenge, I have to tell you, because I, I just didn't start using them. I, I, I worked with them to try and, and get them to do their work, and they were not doing it. And they themselves recognized that they were not doing it. And so then we established ministries. You know, we have, we use the word ministry so people will feel good, but we have like a transportation ministry. And some of the people who visited uh, Worcester know Peter, who is head of our transportation ministry. We had a sanitation ministry, which is the people who clean the building, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we had a Zoom Lion ministry. Then uh, we had a, uh, a building management ministry. You know, so we started creating these and giving it to those people who are doing the work, and they really enjoyed it. And then we also used... Uh, instead of just having presbytery meetings, you know, the Constitution has 
the management offices where it says that you can have uh, you know, any four people join the, uh, the presiding head or the local pastor, the secretary and the treasurer or financial secretary. Uh, and so we brought some of these people into the management team. And so they had some input into the running of the church. And so uh, I, I did not like abolish a presbytery. We still had a presbytery make decisions, and then we'll go to the management team, bring the decisions. Management team will discuss it and try to implement it, but if they have some feedback, then we'll take it to the presbytery. So they felt some role, some participation in the running of the church, and the other people didn't feel excluded. So you have to use wisdom to find a way in your local context and how to deal with this so that the ordained ministers don't become aggrieved. Because you need them also. I think I've answered all of them because I've passed two up to the president. Bring you all and superior assesses you on programs and fund targets. I'll hand over to president. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Bring you all. Um, let me first say that we call it bring you all, but it's bring you some. Because we all know that 25% stays at the local, 10 to the district, 5 to the area, and 60 comes to national. And the 60 that comes to national, national works with only 50. Okay? The 10... 7% is supposed to come back to the district, and 3% is used in the fund to help um, pastors in deprived areas. So it's out of this 50% that salaries are paid and whole administration is run, and when you ask for um, grants, that's where it's supposed to come from. And that's why national is also tight and not able to do a lot of stuff and we blame national for not doing things but the truth is the money is not there okay but um i agree that we need to re-engineer our financial system because if you want local churches to grow they must have some financial air to breathe okay but before we can do that, we have to do a lot of um, some, some studies on the ground. Already, we are not doing things right. We are not practicing things right. We are not bringing the whole cake. So you are not seeing the right size of the cake. How do you share? So we need to do things right. But I believe we need to do some financial reengineering. If we are saying that the, the real church is the local church and growth must be at the local um, we'll see how the Lord leads us to, to do something about it. But the first thing is for us all to be, to be truthful and transparent. We have a lot of leaders who are not paying tight faithfully. And you are not paying well. How can you tell someone to pay it well? And there are some too, even when people pay, you don't record it right. And you don't bring it right. So 
if you are asking for changes in such a system, no matter what you do, things are still not going to be right. But we are trusting God that um, we'll get things right. When we get the foundations right, I believe we have to do some financial reengineering to make sure that local churches have more financial air to breathe. And let's see what comes out of that. But to this end, there's going to be, a, I think we've told you already, I shouldn't go talking about this again. It becomes like you are preaching shift here as well. The issue of um, not growing a church through programs and then your superior is assessing you by the number of programs you've had. No, um, things have changed. Very soon we'll send to you um, some assessment sheets. Every pastor is going to be assessed. Every district is going to be assessed. And the criteria is so broad, okay? It's so broad. So nothing will stand on just programs. No, no. Um, the days where how much money you brought in was far more important than the souls you saved, those days are gone. They are gone. Uh, where you go for pastors' meetings and they tell you, get up, when you get up, Odeka, 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 Odeka. And I've never heard anyone say Odeka souls that all my life. I've never heard it, as long as I've stayed in this church. And I know pastors are not accountants. Okay. Where any time you ask them to stand up, what you ask them for is money. No, we've gotten certain things wrong. When we say shift, we know exactly what we are saying. We've gotten a lot of things wrong. And if we don't turn around, there'll be no change. Okay, so um, the criteria is broad. It's broad. We look at souls first before we look at any other thing. Okay, and you are just not looking at numbers. You are looking at quality. Okay, and um, you, when you see those sheets, you will understand that you are not going to be assessed only on programs anymore. And when we talk about programs, you see, we just have programs, but programs are for a reason. It's for a focus. You are looking at something, that's why you are doing this. So we are, not lo we are looking at the result that comes first. Okay? The result, the focus is the main thing. And not just having programs. You go to some churches, they are always having programs and advertising big, big, big programs. But at the end of the day, you look at the same church. Any change no change. Okay. So you are causing financial loss to the kingdom. So please, um, I believe when these things come out very soon, um, it will be clear to us. But we believe God will take us somewhere. I think you passed on only two. And I think I've, I've spoken about the two. So God bless you. <laughs>